are in the four weeks of the year that lead up to Advent. And Advent is when the church year begins. It's kind of like a fiscal year. It does its own thing. So we always use the last four weeks of the church year to talk about the core values of Catalyst, who we are as a church, what we value, what we care about. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, the, the leadership team introduced four new core values, and we've been kind of tinkering and touring with the exact wording over the last several years. But they are... Uh, the first one is, is friendship, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago here at Catalyst. We believe that friendship is the heart of Jesus' good news. Uh, last week, we talked about diversity. Sonia led us in a conversation about what it looks like to be a church that truly is for everyone, that attends to those who are considered outcast uh, or unwanted. Uh, and then uh, today, we're going to be talking about transformation. And next week, we're going to be talking about curiosity. Uh, so, really excited about this series. We're, we're doing a theme around tables this year, which is why we brought Cooking with Catalyst back. thought that would be a lot of fun. And so, uh, this, year, this week we're talking about transformation. Uh, this, originally we called this word discipleship, but that's like a really churchy word, so we, we moved that to transformation. Because at its heart, this is what it's about, right? The, the, the good news that God raised Jesus from death into life. God, God changed the nature of reality. God rewrote the, the laws of the universe to be uh, one where death does not have the final say. And then we ask what that means in our lives. What does it mean that we can experience real change, right? Real transformation. Uh, not just be trapped in the same old patterns of sin and death that we experience as individuals, that we experience as systems of sin in our world, but that we can, we can actually not only experience, but then be part of real change. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about today, and we're using, again, that metaphor of barbecue, right? The, the low and slow process of change, because <clears throat> spiritual transformation is not something that happens overnight for the most part. It's, a, it's a, an ongoing process of giving the Holy Spirit space to make changes in us, uh, and it's something that, uh, that requires a lot of faith, because we do experience long periods of time where it's, it's not clear if God is at work or not, and we don't feel uh, the same kind of exuberance that we often feel in, in early moments of faith or in what a lot of Christians call like mountaintop experiences, right? We just feel really, really close to God. That, that's, not the, that's not the constant experience of faith. And so what does is, what is real transformation look like at, at both a personal level and an, at a systemic level? And so I know we've talked about this guy a lot uh, in the last few years. It's because I'm kind of obsessed with him a little bit. Uh, so sorry, not sorry. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about Simeon. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And if you grabbed a Bible out of the back, that's on page 614. Uh, now, as you're turning to Luke 2, this is actually a story that we're we usually talk about right after Christmas because this story happens when Jesus is eight days old and his parents take him to the temple in Jerusalem to have him circumcised, okay? So imagine, the, you imagine we just did the shepherds and the angels and all that, right? And then it's eight days later, and Jesus is being brought to the temple, and there is this elderly man there named Simeon, okay? Now, we don't, we don't know a lot about him other than that he's old and that Luke calls him righteous and devout. So just with those three descriptors, right? He's old, he's righteous, and he's devout. We can actually learn a good bit about uh, the kind of world the that he inhabited and maybe a lot of his mindset. So I want to kind of go back through some of Israel's history with you and just frame up where Simeon would have been as someone who was considered righteous and devout. Uh, so given that he... that, that that uh, Luke tells us that he was older, it's, it's a good bet that he's probably around the same age as Herod the Great. 
That's the king who ordered the deaths of the infants that, you know, tried to get rid of Jesus and all of that. Um, so that tells us actually some really cool stuff. So here, here's a timeline that kind of picks up where our last timeline, if you were here for our Jeremiah series, left off, right? Jeremiah's story ended with the exile, when Babylon destroyed the nation of Judah, took all of the cultural leaders into exile in Babylon, all right? That lasted for 70 years. And during that time, the Persian Empire conquered the Babylonian Empire, and it was the Persian emperor Cyrus the Great who allowed God's people to return from exile, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and all of that. But they were a client kingdom who was still under Persian rule. They were not an independent kingdom. And so there was still the sense that even once they had the temple back, even once Jerusalem was rebuilt, they still were not experiencing the fullness of God's promises to them because they were, they were living under the rule of a pagan king. Right? Uh, the Persians lasted for a good while until they were actually uh, defeated by Alexander the Great. Okay? Alexander the Great's empire uh, took over, conquered the Persians, and then Alexander the Great died pretty young. And after he died, his, empire, his three top generals split his kingdom up into three, their own three kingdoms. And so the, uh, Israel ended up under the, the Ptolemaic kingdom, which has such a sweet name because the general was General Ptolemy, right? So he just named it all after himself, as you tend to do when you conquer things and rule them. And so uh, the, the Ptolemies ruled over that area. Now, if you fast forward a couple of hundred years, there was a, a, one of the emperors, his name was Antiochus IV Epiphanes. I don't know why he put that number in the middle of his name, Kind of a cool move, I think. Um, but Antiochus War Epiphanes actually desecrated the temple. He, he sacrificed a pig, which is unclean for the Jewish people, on the altar in the temple and rendered the whole temple unclean. Uh, yeah, really, uh, really disgusting move on a number of levels. Uh, but what this triggered was what we now today call the Maccabean Revolt, which is what Hanukkah memorializes. So a guy named Judas Maccabeus rose up uh, they, con they, they managed to drive uh, Antiochus IV Epiphanes' uh, soldiers out of Israel, and they reestablished Israel as an independent state for the first time since Babylon destroyed them after the exile. Okay, so it's been over 400 years that Israel has been living under the rule of pagan kings, and Judas Maccabeus and his brothers rise up, throw them off, and they reestablish Israel. And Judas anoints himself as a priest king, okay? No longer will the kings and the priests be separate institutions, right? There's no separation of church and state under Judas Maccabeus. He is the priest king, okay? Uh, some people were not excited about this. Most people were fine to let it slide because they got what they wanted, right? An independent Israel. Now, fast forward about another hundred years, and this is around the time that Herod and probably Simeon were born. Okay, it's been a hundred years of priest kings descended from Judas Maccabeus ruling, and it's not great. Okay, without getting too far into the weeds, I know we're already pretty far into the weeds, we're not going to go further into the weeds. Without getting too far into the weeds, the priest kings turned out not to be a great idea. Okay, lots of corruption, lots of questionable decisions from faithful, righteous, devout people like Simeon, who would look at what they were doing and saying, ah, I mean, I know you're the priest king, but that doesn't seem like God would want you know, what God would want you to do, right? But you're the priest king. Uh, and so, essentially, by the time Herod and Simeon are uh, in their 20s-ish, so still fairly young men, Israel has become sort of the, the ground zero of a cold war between the Roman Empire 
and the Parthian Empire, okay, who are descended from the, the old Persian Empire. And, and neither one of them wants to go directly to war with one another because they're both massive empires and they, that would probably be too costly. So they're kind of waging their Cold War by funding different sides of the Hasmonean uh, kings. One, one, the guy who was rightfully on the throne, uh, rightfully is doing a lot of work in that sentence, but you know, rightfully on the throne. The other, a guy who thought he should rightfully be on the throne. Right? And so Rome was funding one, Parthia was funding the other, and it caused a civil war in Israel. And again, this would have been around the time Simeon was like in his 20s. Okay? Now that civil war ends with Herod the Great winning, thanks to Rome's backing. So Herod wins the civil war. There are no more Hasmonean kings. They've all been killed in the war. And so Herod the Great who has no real claim to the throne other than that he's got Rome backing him, ascends to the throne. And if you know anything about Herod, he was, uh, he was a, a savvy political ruler, but he was not at all interested in being faithful to the God of Israel. So again, for someone like Simeon, who Scripture tells us is righteous and devout, his whole life has been one of disappointment with the rulers of his country someone who cares deeply about who God is and the promises that God made to his people, that there would always be a son of David on the throne, right? That one day from this line would rise up someone who would be called God's anointed, the Messiah, who would save not only Israel, but the whole world. Like he cares deeply about these things. These are the stories that have fueled him and that have kept him going. And yet when he looks around in his life, from the time he enters into adulthood until the, day, the, the days of Herod's elderly life, what he sees are constant disappointments and failures. Constant agony that things are not how they should be. And he, I would wonder, I do, I wonder these sorts of things now, right? Is God faithful to God's promises? When are we going to see these things come to pass. I thought that if we were faithful, God would be faithful. And there's some point in Simeon's life, we don't know how early on, but it seems from the way Luke tells the story that he had had an insight from God, a revelation, which again makes sense. He's a righteous and devout guy, right? But I want to read what God had told him at some point. This is in Luke 2 verse 26. It was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Wow. Okay? I think in some ways this makes it worse. Because he knows now that before he dies, he's going to get to see the one that they've been waiting for. And yet, year after year after year passes. And you can't help but wonder, how long did he have to wait? Did he ever get suspicious or disillusioned? When year after year after year, nothing changed, things got worse and worse and worse, the people were less and less faithful, the rulers more and more corrupt. This, this is the area, uh, this, is what, this is what pitmasters would call the stall, Right? Can you imagine the spiritual high that Simeon got when he had this revelation? 
when God told him, Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. Whoa! I mean, I would have been riding that for weeks, right? Like a skyrocketing spiritual experience. Whoa! And then nothing, right? Just a stall. Nothing changes. God doesn't speak again. Uh, I can't help but wonder if maybe he thought maybe I missed him, right? Maybe I, maybe I saw him and I didn't know it was him. I don't know. I just kind of wonder about all of the questions that Simeon had. And yet, and yet, he continued to remain faithful. He continued to trust that God was not done with Israel, with Simeon, with the world. And so he remained faithful, trusting that God too would be faithful. And so I, I want to pause here and return us to worship. I want to invite Nathan and Chanel back up. Because I think this is, a, this is a moment that many of us are in, a spiritual stall. We're wondering what our future is, what, what faith looks like moving forward. We're wondering what the future of Catalyst is, uh, maybe even what the future of Christianity in America is. Uh, I, many of us who are virtual, I know you've had some painful experiences of having to leave a church and wondering, um, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. Is, is, am I? And so I, I don't want to try to offer any cheap or easy answers to any of that. What I want to do is offer an invitation to respond in faith and to insist that we trust that God is who uh, Scripture says God is and that God will be faithful to the promises God has made for us. So again, would you stand with me as we return to worship? So Simeon is in this place we're calling today the stall, right? This place of waiting this place of wondering, this place where, again, to all our outward senses, it doesn't feel like anything is happening. And then Luke tells us one day, the Spirit says, Simeon, uh, go to the temple. Now, again, Luke has already told us that Simeon is righteous and devout. So, uh, he goes to the temple a lot, right? This is not his first trip, maybe not even his first trip that week. He goes to the temple, and there he sees uh, probably not the only people that day who are bringing their kid to be circumcised, right? He sees a mother and a father and a little baby. And one of the things that Luke has told us about Mary and Joseph and Jesus at this point is that they're offering a sacrifice of a pigeon or a turtle dove, um, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but that's important because that tells us that they're very poor. Okay, that's, that, is, that is the offering that you offer if you're not wealthy enough to offer the regular offering. Okay, that's the provision made for the poor. So Simeon sees this poor family bringing their son to be circumcised. And again, there is just, like, if you were to uh, line a bunch of people in Jerusalem that day up, line a bunch of the people at the temple that day up, and ask, ask 10 people to pick out, like, most likely to be the Messiah, it's not going to be the kid from the poor family. Because again, the Messiah is supposed to be the heir to the throne of David, right? He's supposed to be a king and a conqueror. So you're not going to pick that kid. And yet Simeon recognizes him immediately. And he goes over and he scoops the baby up into his arms. I'm assuming Mary said it was cool, right? And, and he, he actually begins to worship. Here's what he says. He says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. 
That is an incredible word of blessing to speak over an eight-day-old kid, right? And yet this is the moment that Simeon has been waiting most of his life for. And, and there's, there's just a couple of things that I think are really staggering about Simeon. Okay, one is that he knew what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounded like, right? Enough so that when the Holy Spirit said, Simeon, today's the day, go to the temple, he heard. And two, that he was familiar enough with God that he was able to recognize God in the flesh, that he knew instantly which person in the temple was the Messiah, and that it was the eight-day-old poor kid. And again, just, just staggering, just staggering when you, when you consider the expectations that people had of who the Messiah would be and all of those kinds of things in that day, staggering that Simeon walks into the temple and, like, and recognizes immediately. That says, I think that says so much about his character. Because I think there's another version of this story, right? There's a version of this story where Simeon gave up in the stall. Where he said, I'm just, I'm just, I just don't get it. I'm just tired of waiting. Maybe I missed it, whatever. And he ends up jaded. And not necessarily cruel, right? But just inattentive. That he neglects that interior life of spiritual formation. To the point that when the Spirit says to him, hey, Simeon, today's the day, go to the temple, he doesn't hear. Because he quit listening for the voice of the Spirit. That still small voice that we have to attend to. He just kind of quit putting in the work. He gave up in the stall and he said, eh, I'll just kind of go back to life as usual. So, so there, God is faithful to Simeon, to the promise that God made to Simeon. that He's not going to die before he sees the Messiah, right? But because Simeon has not been faithful in this, in this imagined scenario that, thank God, did not happen, right? When God says, okay, Simeon, today's the day. I'm, I'm fulfilling my promise to you. Simeon doesn't hear or doesn't listen or doesn't obey. And so Mary and Joseph come to the temple, they have Jesus circumcised, and they leave, none the wiser. Because the guy that God promised didn't, didn't fulfill his end, right? He, he didn't remain faithful to the God who is always faithful. And so that, that's not an, that, would, that would not be an example of God not fulfilling God's promises, right? It would be an example of us failing to receive the reward that God has set out for us because we have not been faithful. And again, that, that is so often the story of Israel. That's what we saw in our last series in the book of Jeremiah, right? That's the whole point of the exile, that instead of whatever miraculous, mysterious could have been, what, what God's people received was conquest and destruction because of their own faithlessness, because of their refusal to heed the ones that God sent to speak to them. So, as we're moving towards a response today, I know that a lot of us can probably empathize with Simeon in the stall. It's been a hard few years, personally, for the church, um, in, our, in our world, right? And, and we wonder, where is God? Is God ever going to heal our culture, our world, our own spirits. And I want to suggest to you, friends, the, the pitmaster's advice. If you're looking, you ain't cooking. Okay? If we're in the stall right now, 
what is, what is required for us is to respond in faith, to trust that God is faithful to God's promises, and to persevere, to continue to do the things that make the space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to be diligent in making ourselves available for God to transform us and trusting that even when we don't see it. Because again, when, when the meat's in the stall, it's not that nothing's happening. It's that things are happening at a molecular level that are transforming the meat, okay? We can't see it, we can't perceive it, but what's happening is basically magic, right? Delicious, delicious magic. And what I wanna suggest to you is that that same thing is happening to us in the soul. So often in our lives, when things feel stagnant, what's actually happening in us is happening at a level that we often cannot perceive. What's happening in our world are often things that we cannot perceive. That's actually one of the Advent promises, that God's newness is springing up like a small shoot that we don't perceive. So what we, what we need to do is persevere, have faith, and trust. Trust that the one who called us is faithful to fulfill the promises that were made to us. So in that spirit, I want to invite you to the communion table today. This table is one of the ways that we act out that faithfulness. Every week we come together to receive this meal together. And we trust that in receiving these very uh, physical things, right, these elements, whatever we've been able to gather, whatever, if you're here, you know, the, the wafers and the, the, the juice, and if you're virtual, whatever you've been able to, to gather, we trust that in receiving these very physical things that something spiritual is happening deep within us. Uh, and we often are maybe not even able to discern it, but we trust that by faith, when we receive by faith, that God is doing a work. And so uh, before we come to the table, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. I'm going to offer us some questions to reflect on together, to offer as prayers to God, and then, and then hear what God has to say to you. And then we're going to come to the table together and receive this meal. So here's the first question I want you to consider. Think about the week that brought you here, or in the last few weeks, right? How have I made space for the Holy Spirit to change me, to transform me? Now, what has kept me from making space for the Holy Spirit to transform me? think about the, uh, the week, the weeks ahead of us. What barriers 
so the Holy Spirit might exist in my life in this coming season. Again, those might be internal barriers, those could be external barriers, but what are, what are things in, in the upcoming season that are going to prevent me from making space for the Spirit? Finally, how can I make space for the Holy Spirit to transform me this season? What does it look, for, look like for me to rest in the stall? pray together. God, you have gathered us this morning. Uh, and for many of us, this is a, a, in and of itself an act of faith because we are experiencing life in, in the stall, in a space where to believe that you are faithful to your promises uh, takes effort because we don't feel it, we don't see it in our world. And uh, there are times we want to give up and just say that... Um, that, that uh, it, was, it was, you know, a childish flight of fancy or something that was for another time in our lives. And yet we have seen in the story of your servant Simeon this morning the promise of what can happen when we trust that you are always faithful to your promises. So we come to your table this morning as a people trusting even when it's difficult for us to trust. Like the man who cried out for healing for his child, many of us are coming saying we believe Help our unbelief. We receive these elements from your table. And we pray that in receiving these, they would be a spiritual food for us, that we might receive to the grace that we need to have faith. Thank you for demonstrating again and again your faithfulness to us. And may our participation in that faithfulness this morning enable us to be faithful in return, that our lives might be good news to the people we encounter this week. We offer these prayers now and we approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. At uh, that meal, he broke a loaf of bread and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, friends, as you're leaving today, I want to say thank you to all of you who are continuing to support the congregation through your giving, uh, especially uh, those who have, have begun giving lately. I really, really appreciate that. 
Uh, thank you also to, of course, our volunteers who continue to help us create this space week after week, both the space here in the building and our virtual space for a virtual congregation. Again, just really grateful for you as well. Um, now, we've been talking a lot this morning about the, the process of the low and slow sort of spiritual transformation and trusting God in the stall. And I just want to end by reminding you that Simeon's story ends with that promise fulfilled. He gets to scoop the Messiah into his arms and he bursts out in worship saying uh, that all of God's promises to him and to his people have been fulfilled. It's just it's this really incredible, beautiful moment. Uh, and of course, we couldn't end a barbecue cooking show without having a similar sort of a moment, um, though instead of, uh, yeah, so I just, we'll, uh, I just wanted to show you this clip of uh, the promise that happens when you trust the low and slow, what it can look like. So uh, the brisket and the pork shoulder have both reached their uh, preferred internal temperatures, which means it's time to take them off. Uh, the pork shoulder has been on for about 12 hours, and the brisket has been on for 16 hours. Uh, so I'm going to pull them off and see what we got here. Oh, yeah, so here's our pork shoulder. Uh, this is the fat cap, so you can see it's obviously blackened. When it's time to pull this, we'll just scrape this right off and then poke on that bone right there, and this whole thing should just come right apart in our hands. It's a, it's a perfect smoked pork shoulder. And let's check on our brisket. Oh yeah, you can see it's changed shape quite a lot in the cooking. Um, but again, <laughs> both of the muscles there, the, the flat here and the point up here are just looking great. We got this to an internal temperature of 200. We're gonna have to let this rest for about 45 minutes, but then it'll be ready to carve up and enjoy. Later that same evening. We got forks too. Yes. Oh, buddy. That is glorious. Yeah, so you can see the pork shoulders falling apart there. Um, there's there's this thing in the in the Old Testament where God's people can't look directly on the face of God. And I, I watched Nathan film us carving the brisket, uh, but the footage vanished. So either it was a technology glitch or it was a divine mystery of smoked meats. So I will leave it up to you to determine that. Um, but again, I just wanted to, to show that, right? This is the promise of the low and slow. It is, a, it is an unglamorous process. It is something that takes a lot of commitment and a lot of effort. And it's honestly something that we can only do when we respond in faith, when we know the end goal that we're looking at. And we can trust that if we trust the process, right, and have faith even in the stall, uh, we will receive the reward. And so that's, that's why Jesus' resurrection is such good news to us, because he shows us what the promise is. He shows us what the end result looks like. Uh, the resurrection is a sneak peek of what God's faithfulness to us looks like. So if you'd stand with me, I want to dismiss us with a blessing today. Um, Catalyst, as you're going today, would you go uh, trusting that God is always faithful to God's promises, and that no matter where you are, whether you're in a spiritual moment that's, that's rich and beautiful, or whether you're in a space that feels like the stall, you can continue forward, taking the next right step by faith, knowing that the God who called you is faithful to fulfill the promises that God made to you. So go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.